It's a privilege to be sharing this morning from the Word of God with you. And uh, yeah, some of you might recognize me from our Afrikaans service, so I will do my best to not have my English data run out in this morning's service. Um, now, this was a great morning, wasn't it? One for the books, if I, if I look at it. And to be honest, some of us were actually... Um, when we discussed the whole thing of actually hosting an opportunity for everyone to come and watch the rugby at church, we were a bit skeptical. I mean, um, and also I think I'm sure that many of you might have been as well uh, just a little bit skeptical because, I mean, we can get quite uh, animated, <laughs> uh, spirited, uh, for lack of a better word, right, when it comes to sport. But if you think about it, and one of the reasons why we actually did it, and it actually fits so well with this morning's message, sports, sports are a part of God's good gift to humanity. Now, if you, if you, uh, if you think about it, he, the Bible doesn't tell us that he invented sport, right? But he created us with a capacity to come up with rules and complex systems to challenge ourselves to be better every day. And actually, I, I thought about this. How old is the concept of sports? And on screen, you'll see... Uh, now, I'm a board game guy, personally. This is the oldest board game in the world, and it's actually still being played today. It's called the Royal Game of Ur. You are, right? So Ur was in ancient Mesopotamia, and that specific board over there was created and made around about between 2,400 and 2,600 years, well, years before Christ, meaning that that thing is about 4,500 years old. So the old people closer to the time of creation weren't stupid, okay? They were able to create games, and all of us, we need, we, we need to think about it, right? If God gave us this mental capacity to create games, to create sports, then surely he gave it for us for enjoyment as well. And we should remember that as Christians, as his children, we can't live a life where sports and all of those things are separate to our lives as Christians. We are supposed to bring our identity as Christians into that world as well, and if you if you if you're sitting there, um, all of us have an idea of what sportsmanlike conduct should be like, right? I mean, we don't want people disrespecting each other on the playing field. If you if you think about it, there are there's nothing worse than a player on the field cupping his ear towards the crowd if they're taunting him, or kicking a man when he's down. We don't like that, right? And the whole world has this idea of what sportsmanlike conduct is supposed to be. Basically, we should be good examples on, this, on the playing field, right? Now, like there's an expectation from us, from the world, with regards to the, the expectation of sportsmanlike conduct, the Lord and the world has a certain way, a certain expectation with regards to believers. Did you know that? That as believers, we are supposed to conduct ourselves in a certain way. 
There's a certain way that we should walk out our daily lives, the Bible tells us. And we'll be walking, we'll be talking about walking today in the second series, second uh, episode, I will call it that, second sermon, in our Ephesians series. Walking that is worthy of our calling. But before we start, let's just do our Bible declaration. So if you've got it, take your Bible in hand and let's declare the following. This is my Bible. It is the living word of God that directs my life. I am who God says I am. I have what God says I have. I can do what God says I can do. My mind is aware. My heart is receptive. And I will never be the same again in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as usual as well, you can also find the sermon notes for this morning on YouVersion's Bible app. Well, if you've got your Bible in hand, you can open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, we started last week on Ephesians, and we covered some of the facts that are true about our nature as children of God. Some factual statements that's true about us as the church of God, the body of Christ on earth. And we learned in Ephesians 2 that in the mind of God, we are now seated in heavenly places along with Christ. And that statement basically has three implications. Firstly, that we now have a new identity in Christ. We've been saved from the authority of the kingdom of the power of darkness through the power of Jesus' blood, and we are now citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So there are new rules that apply to us. And when God looks at us, He doesn't see our failures in trying to buy His favor, but He sees the successes of Christ, who has reconciled us to God, because we are now in Christ, we are made to be the righteousness of God. Now, secondly, we're invited into an intimate relationship with God. Jesus has broken down this wall of separation that existed between us and God, the wall of sin, and he has issued us with an everlasting invitation to the throne room of God. And we can now enter into that holy place by virtue of the purifying blood of Jesus, not feeling unworthy or second place or out of place in the awesome holy presence of God, but we can now live in a place in our life where the presence of God is welcome and works through us, right? But we can only achieve that life of intimacy with God if we choose to live a life of integrity that is built upon the foundation of the Word of God, seen through the understanding and acceptance of our identity in Christ. And that's sort of where we ended it off. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, how does, a, how does living a life of integrity actually play out in my daily walk with God? Is being a child of God something that should be considered while we're living our lives? Or is it something that's separate in another little box? Let's have a look at what the Word says. So Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 1, Paul is writing and he says, I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord, another translation says, of the Lord, urge you, I urge you, it's a strong, strong desire of the apostle, he's urging us, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, we said last week, and we alluded to it earlier, that the Apostle Paul was the writer 
and I'm using that word specifically, the writer of this letter. But you see, when we approach the Bible, we need to understand something about the Bible. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 teaches us that all Scripture has been inspired by God. Basically, that means that the words that we read upon these pages were breathed by God into the people who wrote them down. And the implication is that while the Bible may have had many different writers, it only had one author. And it all originated in the mind of God. Now, I'm not trying to debate about the authority or authenticity of Scripture now. But what we should learn from this is that the choice of words employed by the writers in the Bible actually means something. And we really need to understand it. We should, we should read Scripture with an inquisitive mind, a keen eye, and an open spirit, an open and receptive spirit that we may hear God truly speak. So why I'm saying this is because of that term that Paul uses to describe himself, being a prisoner of the Lord. Now, at the time, we said it last week, Ephesians, when he wrote it, he wrote Ephesians, Colossians, and two other ones as well. At the time of writing, Paul was actually an inmate. He was in prison, awaiting trial. But in his mind, his identity wasn't that of being an inmate of a government. His identity was one of being a prisoner of Christ. You see, he took his identity as being captive in Christ. Not being forced to be this, this captive. He just, he has just matured so much in his identity with Christ at that point, And he's accepted his identity in Christ to such a degree that he allowed zero room, no room, not even in his writings, for anything to overrule the authority of Christ in his life. He truly understood that at that point he is a child of God fully found in Christ. And what a place that is to aspire towards, right? Where we don't allow room for anything to overrule or to usurp the authority of Christ in our lives. And it's from this place, a place where he understands, I am a prisoner of Christ. I've put myself into those chains, if I can call it that. I've taken on that identity. It's from this place that Paul urges us to realize that we have to walk in a manner that is worthy of that same calling. Because that same calling is issued upon our lives. That place where nothing else can overrule Christ in our lives, where Christ is our all. The place where the reality of Jesus is so overwhelming in our lives that we truly realize by the power of the Holy Spirit what our identity in Christ is. Now, that word worthy can be defined as something that is befitting or corresponding to a thing. I mean, if we just think about it in this post-World Cup, uh, it just wasn't worthy of the Springboks to run around in Checker 60-60 uniforms, right? There's something, that, the green and gold means something. Uh, to, to pull that Springbok over your, over your head, it means something. Now, Paul is saying that 
being in Christ means something. It's just, it isn't just something that came upon your path. It actually means something. And we've got to live our lives in a manner that reflects that we understand that, that reflects that reality in our lives. This means that we've got to ask at least two questions. Firstly, what is our calling? So if there is a calling and we need to walk worthily of it, what is it? And secondly, what does it mean to walk in this context? Now, our calling quite simply is as Ephesians 4, verse 4 to 6 puts it. It's not on, it's not on the screen, but it is to be united with God. And last week we learned that we were far off from God, but through the power of Christ we are now become near. We, Christ has made it possible for us to draw near to God. And that is the call that is on our lives, to come closer to God. So it seems from this passage that the Lord is saying through Paul that we should walk in a manner that befits that call, to be and remain united with God. So your calling is, you are to be united with Christ, in Christ. That is your identity. So now, go and live your life accordingly. That's what walking means in this context. Just the way we live our lives. Now the Lord is saying through Paul, if we truly understand our identity in Christ and we understand the great calling to come near to God, we need to live our lives in a manner that is fitting to that call. Pure and simple. You see, the Lord does have an expectation with regards to the way that we live our lives. Not just in terms of what we achieve or who we are to the world, but in every single aspect he's got an expectation but we should note that this call this walk rather stems from our identity the way we walk doesn't determine our identity but rather it confirms our identity James wrote in in the book of James he said that if you show me your works I will know your faith you see, once the truth of Christ has washed over our hearts, we're already justified and saved in Christ, and we can't add to that or take away from it. So when, whatever we do, whatever the things we allow in our life may be, they can't make God love us more. They can't buy additional favor from God. They can't bribe God. Our lives can either be a reflection of that truth or not. And that's what walking in a manner that fits our calling is all about. Now, there are three aspects we can isolate in this worthy walking situation. And that is that we should have a worthy attitude, which will lead us to perform worthy service. And those two things combined equals worthy living. Now, a worthy attitude is one that is reflective of the virtues that Paul listed in verses 2 and 3, right? So he says, so you must walk this thing, befitting to your calling, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, looking at these virtues, if you think about it, right, these virtues, I mean humility, gentleness, patience, they're quite contrary to the example we receive on a daily basis from the world, right? Firstly, we just had an election in New Zealand. And what do politicians thrive on? Do they thrive on unity? 
or do they thrive on sowing discord and disunity? We, we don't want to agree with this party, so we're going to make our own party that stands for these sort of principles, right? If you think about the United States where Donald Trump is currently under trial and all of those things, probably the, mis- the most ununifying president that country has ever had, they thrive on this unity. We, as Christians, are meant to create unity. I mean, even if you think about it, even evangelical Christianity, of which we form a subset of, even Christians have become known for what we're against, rather than saying what we are for, which is to see all men and all women, every person on earth, come to know Christ. But we're against this manner of conduct, this manner of conduct, and that manner of conduct. Should we not rather be a body of people that says, well, yeah, we're against those things, but you won't understand it because you don't know Christ. Let me introduce you to Christ, and then we can talk about the things that are not worthy of your calling. Patience is another virtue which we don't see very often. If I just want to, if I just need to be honest, like, um, I just need to get into my car on the road to see that patience is not a virtue that's necessarily reflected in my life, right? People are impatient. We've developed into a society where everything needs to be instant, right? Instant coffee, just add water. Instant pancakes, just add water. Instant oats, just add water. I mean, one of these days they'll come out with instant water. You'll just have to add water, right? But, I mean, these are exactly the kinds of virtues that we, as children of God, are supposed to see coming through in our attitude, but we don't. Why? Let's have a look at Ephesians 4, verse 15. It says there that we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. So, it's a direct call from God saying that we are to grow up into Christ. That is to say, and you've heard us say this many times, as children of God, we are to become more and more like Christ with the ultimate goal to be like Christ in how we conduct ourselves in the world out there. We, we keep saying Christ is not just, he's, he's, he's an example of us, of what we are supposed to be in the world out there. It's not just an example for us. It's an example of what we have the power to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's not something which I think we'll ever be able to attain, but it's always something that we should constantly strive for. Now, saying that, that's a difficult thing to understand, right? Because I, for one, don't know how can I get more patience if I don't have patience. But that's where the gospel and the miracle of a renewed life steps in Ephesians 4 verse 20 to 24 says the following it says it lists a couple of things about how there's this unity and different ways of misconduct but it says that is not the way you learned Christ now look at what it says it doesn't say the way of Christ it says that is not the way you learned Christ so it's all about Jesus Christ Assuming that you have heard about him 
and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off, look at this, at this terminology, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, when I read this, I was reminded of my grandmother. She lived through the uh, Second World War. And one day while she was going through some old photos and stuff, uh, I saw an old piece of paper lying between the documents. It was an old petrol coupon, a ration coupon. Now, I asked her about it, and she explained that in wartime, they were rationed with their fuel and everything. It still had, I remember it was a five-gallon ration coupon. And she explained that they had to go to the filling station and give in that coupon, and then they'll be able to get that amount of fuel. But when the war ended and austerity measures came to a close, those coupons became invalid. They couldn't use it anymore. So it was just a little piece of paper with no value. But yet she held on to them as a souvenir. Now, if I took those coupons today and I went to pack and say fuel or mobile, they'd probably think I'm off my rocker if I wanted to pay with that. I mean, I can't pay for fuel in 2023 with a fuel coupon from 1945. It's not even for liters of petrol as we, as we measure it now. It's for gallons. I mean, you know, a, me a measure which hasn't been used in both South Africa or New Zealand for many, many years. But yet this is what we do in our daily walk with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 and 18 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And I just added a little bit translation of Eben in there. The old is dead. It has died. Finito. No longer breathing. Behold, the new has come. Ephesians 4 verse 22 and 24 says that we, that is you and I, are responsible for choosing which one of the old or the new we operate from. We are responsible for putting off the old. And the, the imagery is as in like you're taking off clothes, right? So you need to take off the old, lay it aside, throw it away. And put on the new. In Christ, God has invalidated our past life. And he has made us new. He didn't change us. And let's just be clear of that this morning. Christ didn't come to die so that we can be changed. He killed us. He killed us, and he raised us into a new life. But being the beings that we are, being so clever, trying to devise our own ways, we hold on to that deadly corpse. And our attitude becomes one where we blame our shortcomings on the way we are. Instead of just saying, that's literally the old person that's operating right now. And I mean, all of us have said this, right? You know those little things that we say, I'm just an impatient person. I can't help being sharp with my tongue. 
Adultery and alcoholism just runs in the family, you know. But that's where the power of the new man and woman in Christ comes in. Because the new man and woman in Christ are people with patience. They are people who are gentle with one another. They are people who stand on the restorative power of Christ and no longer operates in the identity of alcoholic, murderer, liar, slanderer, adulterer. As a new creation in Christ, our chosen identity drives our attitude. And if we choose the identity of being a new creation in Christ, we will be people who have an attitude of life. But if we continue to cling to the corpse of our old being, our attitude will sow seeds of death in every aspect of our life. It will bring seeds of doubt in your faith. It will bring seeds of distrust in your marriage. We need to choose to put on that new identity in Christ. And once our attitude is driven by the new life we received in Christ, we will start noticing a desire to shift to an attitude of no longer caring about ourselves, but caring about others. Notice what is said in Philippians 2 verse 4 and 5. Look, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's not something that we've got to go and climb a mountain for to go and grab off a shelf or something. The attitude of service is something that belongs to us in Christ. Once we've got that worthy attitude, it will lead us to worthy service. Service that evidences the new life from which we're operating. Ephesians 4 verse 7 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, what does this mean in context of worthy service to others? We find the answer in Romans 12 from verse 6. Now, the verses are not on screen, but I'm just going to read it because it's quite um, simple to grasp, right? Listen intently to what the word of the Lord says here. It says from verse 6, We all have gifts that differ according to the grace that was given to us. Let us use them. Notice he says we all have gifts, right? Not we all have a promise of a gift. We all have gifts that are given to us. Let us use them. If it is prophecy, let us do so in proportion to our faith. If it's service, let it be in our serving. If we need to teach, let it be in our teaching. If we exhort, let it be in our exhortation. Look at this. There's a gift to contribute in generosity. And that's not only finances. It's time, treasure, and talent. And we must do so in generosity. That is what befits our calling. If it is to lead, we should do so with zeal. With, um, with we want, like we want to do it, right? And we should have that attitude of we need to get this right. The one who does acts of mercy, they should do it with cheerfulness. And look at these marks of a true Christian. Let love be genuine. 
You can't plaster on love. It has to be genuine. Abhor, that's have a strong hate of what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, it's interesting. We, we spoke about sports and games at the start. The Bible doesn't condemn competition, right? But neither does it necessarily encourage it because if we do competition in the right way, it can lead to all manner of bad things. But there's one place where the Bible sort of commands us to be in competition with one another, and that's here. Outdo one another in showing honor. As children of God, we are supposed to outdo one another in the way that we honor one another, in how we speak of one another. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And look at this one. Seek to show hospitality. The children of God are people who are hospitable. Our homes need to be open for other people. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. At our workplace, we need to be do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We should live in peace with one another, with our neighbors. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then it's all summed up in this one sentence that says, Do not overcome evil by evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Whatever service we do, we shouldn't do it out of obligation. We shouldn't do it because it's what Jesus would have done. We should look at it as that is who we are. The same mind that was in Christ is supposed to be in us. The worship team, you guys can head to the front. You see, when our attitude is a, is a worthy attitude and our service becomes worthy service, that will cause us to live a worthy life. A worthy life isn't some dream that isn't attainable that's far off. A worthy life is attainable by the power of the Holy Spirit and by our choice and our commitment. The great thing about this is that we... We're not meant as children of God to separate our lives into compartments. You know, one where we can only watch rugby at home or at the bar or at work, but never at church. Or a life where we are cutthroat at work, but savages at home, but the most innocent little lamb at church. That's not how we're supposed to live. We sang a song earlier where, where the line was that, So now my soul, don't be shy. I don't know if, that, if you remember that. You see, we're supposed to not live. We shouldn't live a life of dualism. And it's interesting, uh, 
I thought about it and I got a bit convicted as I was standing there worshiping. When we sang that line of, so now my soul don't be shy. I stood here and I, and I got convicted in my heart and in my mind and in my spirit. I mean, I honestly get excited when the team I'm rooting for does well in the game, right? But I'll be honest with you that I don't think I get as excited when I see the kingdom of God advance on earth necessarily. I don't get angry when I see unrighteousness flourish. I don't get irritated by the victories that the enemy has in society. I don't get angry when I hear about divorces. I don't lose it when I hear about children, teens, who are committing suicide. Yeah, sure, you're a bit sad and it's not nice, but if that is our identity, that we are in Christ and our goal and our entire manner of walking is to be worthy of that calling where we are supposed to be one with Christ and in Christ. Then when we walk in the CBD and we see a rough sleeper over there, we should have compassion for them. The Bible says that Jesus often, when he saw people who were struggling, who were suffering, that it brought him to stand still. And it brought him to compassion. The Bible often says that he got moved. Do we get moved by the ills we see in society? Do we get excited about the expansion of the kingdom? Or are we actually separating our lives? Where our confession of Christ has just become a personal worship hobby that we do on a Sunday. And this is not just, I'm not just saying these things. I've, I was standing there and I wrote these things down as I was standing there and we sang. The Spirit worked in my life. You see, if we, if we truly live in our new identity, our attitude, that worthy attitude will envelop our life. And the kingdom of God will start manifesting wherever we find ourselves in our daily orbit. At work, we'll suddenly see opportunities to be hospitable to someone. One day, perhaps in our, in our normal old way, we might have had an argument with someone. But, but now that we're living in our new identity, we're talking differently. And we're approaching the situation with a softer view. Perhaps there's currently a situation in your home that is causing you and your family some strife, some worries, concern. I mean, let's be honest, if you're an immigrant to this beautiful country, you know that immigration places certain strains on a family. It's just the way of life. 
but not only immigration. Over here, there's, there's a different rhythm to life, right? And, and, and on a daily basis, we deal with pressures that can create opportunities for great harm if we approach them from the point of view of the old dead corpse that was killed by God. But if we can truly choose to put that off, to lay that aside, and to put on our new identity in Christ, our lives can change dramatically. Dramatically. And for us to know this identity in Christ, it's a simple thing that we need to do, really. It's not, it's not difficult. This is deep. Write this down. For us to know our identity in Christ, just go and read the Bible. In Christ, you are more than a conqueror. In Christ, you are able to do so much more than you think you're able to do because He gives you power. In Christ, you have a future. In Christ, you can address the concerns that are plaguing you by night, that's causing you to lose sleep. In Christ, you have a future. And, you know, our future doesn't start only when Jesus Christ comes back to fetch His church to be with Him forevermore. And I believe the day is coming soon, sooner rather than later. Your new life starts the moment that that truth of Christ becomes a reality in your life. May we be people who walk truly in Christ, in our new identity. May we be people who build our life on the, the truth that we find in the Word. May Christ ever be our cornerstone I want to invite you to just stand with us for a moment and I do want to create a moment where, where I'm going to pray for us let's, let's close our eyes bow our heads for a moment if you're like me and I mean I'm I enjoy the rugby, I'll be honest. I'm not the biggest rugby, rugby fan, but I enjoy it. I enjoy watching the World Cup. But I honestly got convicted this morning. I got convicted by realizing that a rugby World Cup rolls around once every four years. Is that the only place where my excitement needs to come out is that the only place where my frustration needs to needs to come out if it just doesn't go our way I mean these emotions are they can drive us to, to do big things and you know what God gave us emotion for a reason he gave us emotion so that we can experience with others 
the hurt that they're going through. He gave us emotions so that we can rejoice with those who rejoice. He gave us emotions so that we can truly have compassion on those around us. He gave us emotion so that we can go out and be city changers in Auckland. And if we're honest with one another, yes, this is a great country but it's a great country in need of Christ, in need of the truth of Jesus. But they will never, ever, ever grasp it if we hide ourselves, if we're secret agent Christians, if we don't go and walk in a manner that is fitting to our calling, And if your prayer is the same as mine today, where you just want to say, God, help me to grow in maturity in Christ. Help me so that I don't cling to that old man, but help me that I put on the new man that you have created. If that is your prayer, just there where you're standing, just, just raise your hand. doesn't even need to be high. Just raise your hand. That God can see it. And He hears your hearts cry. And Holy Spirit, this morning we are, we are coming to you for help. Only by your Spirit can we, Lord, can we understand our identity. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that this morning your Holy Spirit will ever increase the knowledge of that identity in our lives. That we are now in Christ. We are new creations. Lord, help us to realize that the old is past. We are new creations. Help us to not cling to a dying corpse of ideas. Help us, Lord, to rather embrace your way. The new identity you have given us. You are worthy to receive all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. And our lives, Lord, should be lives that shout out that Jesus Christ is King. Our lives should be lives that, that are worthily lived, befitting the status that you have given us, that we are now one in Christ, that we are made new in Christ. Help us, O oh Lord, to build our life on these principles. We praise you.